Did you watch Star Trek going up at all? Mm -hmm. yeah. I watched Next Generation. Yeah, me too. So, uh, you know what the prime directive is? It's non-interference, non right? We are here only to help guide you into a new era. I can assure you we will not interfere in the natural development of your planet. That is, in fact, our prime directive. And that's kind of what I've wanted to be kind of my prime directive. Because most parents, when I talk to them about that idea, the ideas that support it are kind of a little bit more like love-based and the ideas that, that don't are a little bit more fear-based. Um, or yeah. like like reflects some lack of trust in their own character or something like that. Um, but yeah, just in general, what are you, what are your what are your thoughts and how are the how are the parenting resources that have been like that you've been resonating with um, <clears throat> kind of fit that theme or not? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about non-intervention, and I think that I have an idea of what you mean by that because of working with Brad. Where the place I'm at now, I think of it as trusting my child. You know, trusting that she is a fully complete human. Before I read Janet Lansbury, I was thinking like, oh my God, I've got this like kid who I'm past the point of where I'm just trying to keep her alive and now, like, is it my job to entertain her? Like, what do I do? What do we do all day? And um, thankfully, I was introduced to Janet Lansbury. And her whole thing was, um, for babies, is that babies will entertain themselves. Babies are fascinated by all of this stimulation that they're getting. And if they're looking over here at a shadow, that's the best thing for them to do be doing. They're learning from that. Their their brain is growing. They are totally capable of being in charge of their attention, interest, motivation, all of that. And that they don't need adults coming in shaking a rattle in front of their face or trying to god forbid like teach them letters or something, you know, to a 6-month-old or whatever. And that um and then trusting when a child you know is like a toddler you know i'm only at the four and a half year mark so like god knows what's gonna happen in the next 10 15 years but like when elsie jane was going through the toddler phase it was all about um trusting her feelings that if she's fucking pissed great that's like the best thing for her to be feeling right then, you know, or if she's sad or happy or whatever. And um, I mean, she's a pretty happy kid. And then, you know, trusting that a child has their own ideas, their own interests, their own motivation, all of that, and that they just don't need like a lot from us. However, 
I'm actually going to contradict myself. I actually think it takes a lot of organization as a parent to provide a space where a kid can explore and do their thing without a lot of intervention. Um, so like Janet Lansbury calls it a yes space for um, little kids where, you know, even if you like set up a play gate or whatever, that you have this at least one area where there is nothing that the child cannot do. There's nothing that they can't get into, you know, because for when the kid starts to walk, all of a sudden it's no, don't touch that. No, don't climb on that. No, that's going to break. No, you're going to fall. Blah, blah. No, 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 no. So it, it actually, you know, for a child in an adult space, it's not an awesome place for them. It's a super confining um, so place. So it it does, and I never fully got there. Like I didn't, but I think it takes some planning and some setup. So it's not like non-intervention, like, oh, I'm just gonna like, parenting is so easy and I'm just gonna go drink my coffee or whatever. I think it actually takes a lot of thoughtful planning to set up an environment where the kid is safe and they can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Non-intervention, I think has mostly to do with their play. It doesn't have so much to do with like, like I am going to intervene as her mother and like give her food, even if she didn't ask for it. If I know she hasn't eaten in four hours, I'm going to brush her teeth every night, even if she doesn't want to, you know, I'm going to, I lay with her and do autogenic relaxation with her when she goes to bed. You know, I do all those things that she never requested or asked for. That's me doing something to her or with her, right? But in play, I think that's where non-intervention really comes into play, where kids can be in charge of their own play and their own learning. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't need to be guided so much where i'm finding that she needs more guidance is in uh like communicating with other people Mm -hmm. because there's not good role modeling you know there would be no need for guidance or intervention if like the role modeling kids learn everything by imitation right they learn everything through role modeling so if she was around adults all the time who spoke to each other in the ways that we want our kids to speak, there would be no, nothing would need to happen. She would just learn that. But, you know, in our culture, we don't speak to each other, honestly. So like with her friends, I intervene a lot actually, if they're fighting and I say things like, you know, you can say I'm, I didn't like that, please stop. Or, you know, I give her words to say that she, that I think are a, 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 what am I trying to say? An accurate reflection of what she's actually has going on inside. Mm-hmm. I give her words to say that I think are better. Mm-hmm than the words that often get modeled, you know, by other kids or adults. 
Well, there's a lot there. I'll just shift gears a little bit instead of trying to go back to any one of those specific points. The history behind like this podcast and my interest in parenting was that, um, I mean, I've kind of always been interested in being a dad and interested in parenting. When my sister had uh, my oldest nephew, who's uh, about to turn 16, um, when she had him, I was just so excited to be like a co-parent, you know, and to be part of this village that would be raising, raising Tyler. And I started reading a lot of books and, and, and at the time, like my favorite kind of philosophical, my personal kind of like Bible is, um, is self-reliance by Ralph Waldo Emerson. And as I was reading that, even the first times in high school, I had a lot of thoughts about how we strip our children of, of their confidence and individuality Hmm. and, and how we could potentially avoid stripping our children of just like their inherent confidence and individuality. Um, And so I, 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 I wore out my welcome with my sister as a, as a co-parent and it's so quick and easy. And I've even had these, I've had conversations with you where like it's quick and easy to just reflect on reflect on something from an inquisitive standpoint, which is usually my standpoint is like, what is the psychological besides the here and now, what are any of the long-term psychological impacts of this on, on in that case, Tyler. And it did frequently kind of like trigger those criticisms. You know, there's, it's impossible for a parent, especially a mom, I think to not be like critical of how good of a mom they're being and feel criticized. And so I feel pretty often that those inquiries and potentially even criticisms uh, were no longer welcome. Mm. And so that was kind of like an interrupted expression of mine. Like I wanted to express and contribute to the world in this way. It was stifled. And so I kind of like went even more into it. And I was just like, all right, I'm going to just research, write, form form theories explore babysit whatever and uh and then you know either when my next nephew or niece is born or when i finally have a child i'll get to actually like put this stuff into play and so it became a pretty a bit of like an obsession for me just something i was really interested in for a while that was the only books that i was reading and and uh um and I was mainly focused on like well what what are the like core tools and resources that Tyler or another child would need to have where I really wouldn't need to intervene. You know, like how could I equip them with some of those kind of basic things where they felt like their answers were coming from inside them. And when they were like curious to explore this, they weren't building a top dog internalized relationship of like a lot of like no's and shoulds being, mm-hmm. being bounced off of them and, and, and then ingrained in them, you know, so that they then have those, those judges and those those doubters and those shooters inside their psyche, <clears throat> which is going to happen no matter what. But I do think, I mean, we have an impact on our children. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, uh, so that's kind of the back background of why I was why I was interested, and I spent a lot of time thinking about these examples, like what you said. Like, I'm going to brush Elsie Jane's teeth, even if she doesn't want to want to brush her teeth and tried to think like what are the limits you know like yeah like do i want to let just like maybe just their baby teeth rot out you know (laughs) or like do i want it yeah (laughs) uh 
I, I don't want to do that with her adult teeth, but maybe whatever. And like, is a little burn okay? Is an electric shock okay? Like, like asking these questions. And, and uh, you know, I feel whatever. I, I judge myself for even exploring those, but I do think they're worth exploring because I think that that urge to, to, yeah, to protect our children yeah. can end up making for neurotic, anxious, scary yeah. children that and you know, not and, from them, it's from us. Yeah. And, you know, I think the biggest thing for me is not the physical safety stuff. I just kind of take for granted. Like, it, it, I'm not talking about, you know, my kid is going to fall off her bicycle or, or you know, she's going to trip fall gets scrapes she constantly has scrapes and bruises and everything i mean she plays outside a ton i don't care about that stuff but when it comes to physical safety you know i'm not gonna let her get hit by a car or like fall off a 12 foot wall or you know basic stuff right um you know what i think is really the thing we are so scared of our kids feelings and we rush in and we try to save them from feeling whatever, from feeling frustrated, sad, disappointed, mad, all that stuff. And for me, that's a really juicy place of like, how can I roll out the red carpet, as Janet Lansbury says, for whatever feelings are there so that she's not scared of feelings or thinks think that they're I don't know. It's like we think they're dangerous somehow, and they're not. They're just feelings. And um, there was something else I wanted to say about. Um, While you're thinking of that, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna go back to my little like narrative, which is yeah. as I was doing this kind of obsessive thinking. One of the things I started doing was taking inventory on my cell phone of all the times I heard a parent, usually friends, uh, parents, but sometimes as my other siblings started having kids take keeping track of every time they did say no or any form of no. And what I thought was the motivation and, you know, very few of them were those protection motivations. I think a lot of them were that we're scared of our kids feelings. We want them to be happy and we can't just like sit with them being, you know, any other emotion, uh, and then it's so frequently we want our kids, we don't want our kids to reflect poorly on us. We don't want our kids to do something that if we were doing it, we would be embarrassed or would feel as in, 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 inconsiderate or something like that. And so I, I, I tried to group those motivations and yeah, so few of them were about safety. And, and I looked for yeah ways that what, what could I give my child instead of a no or a redirect when the issue is I'm uncomfortable with people being sad around me or I'm uncomfortable with people screaming around me or I make myself uncomfortable with my child doing something that I, would, I wouldn't do or I would be uncomfortable doing. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I want you to keep going with your train of thought, but, but I liked you saying that they were afraid of our, our, our kids' feelings. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I, I don't want that to ever be a cause for my intervention. I, I want to pick my interventions. I mean, we're going to have to intervene even in Star Trek, the next generation, they, they broke the prime directive, but I want to be like really deliberate for myself around, around when I choose to break it. And that isn't going to be 
Yeah. Yeah. And in a way, you know, I don't know if we would, we, okay, what am I trying to say? Providing empathy and being willing to be with a kid in whatever they're feeling is its own way of intervening Mm -hmm. too, you know? So, I mean, I do think there are positive interventions. Um, And obviously, maybe there's a different um, flavor to, maybe I wouldn't call it an intervention, but just a response. Like I'm gonna have some kind of response. I can't, I'm not gonna be, you know, if I'm there interacting with my child, whatever my response is, is going to have an impact on her. Mm -hmm. So there's no way for me to be invisible. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So I guess I would think of the non-intervention directive as like trying not to change the course of her feelings or Mm -hmm. sometimes I'm going to change the course of her behavior Mm -hmm. for safety reasons or for, you know, I would say the majority of the time that I say no, it's for my personal sanity. Mm -hmm. It's like a boundary for my own health and well-being yeah most of the time it's like oh i just put all the food on the table inside and now she wants to go eat outside there's Uh no reason we can't eat outside Uh and sometimes i say yes to that but sometimes you know i've been parenting for 10 hours straight and the food is already on the table Uh and i don't want the neighbor kids running up while we're eating dinner and Uh i say no yeah eating inside yeah on the table Let's eat. Um, So for me, most of the time when I say no, it's because it's for ease and simplicity and it's to relieve some of my own like exhaustion, basically. Anyway, um, I I like the idea, too, of you of you being the of you being the boss of Kara and of, of Elsie Jane kind of learning that that you aren't necessarily the boss of Elsie Jane, except for in these limited circumstances, Elsie Jane is, but you are the boss of, of Kara. Yes. Uh, which I think is required for, yeah, for your own sanity. Yes. It's really good practice for me. It is like a freaking masterclass in, um, in, in saying no, actually in a good way, in a like taking care of myself kind of way Mm -hmm. where, um, yeah, I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't consider myself to be, to really have that much control over her. But what I do have control over, what am I willing and not willing to do? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it is exhausting to parent a small child by myself, you know, 12, 13, 14 hours straight for five days in a row every week. Mm-hmm. It just, it's a, it's, it's a marathon thing. Mm-hmm. So... But what I was saying before about the, you said something about what tools does my kid need to have to be able to trust themselves and go about their lives. And I mm-hmm. think one of the big ones is like uh, a tolerance for like frustration and disappointment. And that's mm-hmm. what we rob our kids of. So mm-hmm. even something simple, like, you know, the kid is like trying to get the button in the hole and is struggling with it. And it's so easy to just swoop in and do it for them. Uh And it's usually easier and faster and the 
you know. Um, but I, you know, I think I've done a lot of good things and probably some shitty things. And I think that's one thing I've done really well with Elsie Jane is I really let her struggle with things. But there's a a way of being we're still you know this non-intervention thing is not about like checking out and just sort of like it's sort of like actually being super attuned to what's actually going on for the kid like are they are they still really interested and struggling with this whatever puzzle they're working on and then are they getting to a point of overwhelm and do they need like one little bit of like of not doing it for them but just Mm -hmm. helping them get over the hump so that Mm -hmm. they then can do the rest themselves and it's being quite attentive really Mm -hmm. yeah you you know my work uh is we make branding and marketing video stuff for different nonprofits. And the best part of my job, it's barely what I get to do anymore. But the best part of my job is that for a month, I'll get like immersed in like the ethos and values of the Audubon society and help them like restate their theory of change, restate their, their, their messaging. Um, And one of my favorite early clients was a Montessori school here in town called family star Montessori that follows the Montessori ethos, but also, it has a lot of value in like diversity and in making sure that children with disabilities are in every classroom. And uh, I think what made me think about, so I did a bunch of training videos for their new teachers where, where you had to learn about the setting of the room and like how to make the room a space of yeses and a space of options and not a space where we ever really need to say no um, and how much care and energy that takes. And um and then, yeah, just teaching them all those values. We want these kids to be self-directed in their learning. We want these kids to be able to pursue and follow their folly and, and get passionate about whatever they get passionate. And they spend a week straight on Play-Doh, then that's what they spend a week straight on at every age because that, that, that school starts at like two weeks or something like that and goes up to, goes up to like age 12. Wow. So, um, so that was really fun getting to make these videos, training teachers at each, each of those ages, how they can abide by these ideas, which are really based also on this idea of non-intervention. <clears throat> so I'm totally with you about how that, like they didn't want containers. They don't sleep in cribs with walls. They don't eat in, in high chairs where they're locked in everything. They have the ability to put themselves into and mm-hmm. take themselves mm-hmm. out of. And we just create these structures where they where they do that. And if they don't, it's usually okay for them to not do it. And it's, it's amazing how non-chaotic those classrooms are, you know, yeah. which is what most parents and teachers would think they were going to be, but they just aren't. Yeah. Um, and it comes from like honoring those kids. So I think that played a lot. Um, one of the things I've been wanting to do and did with Brad with this thing is occasionally going out to show little things that we're talking about. Uh, this one I'm not going to, but this came up for me when you were talking about like giving them the ability to like deal with their own, um, like threading the needle or whatever. Uh-huh. So watch this little video really quick. Okay. Why are you by yourself? Why are you by yourself? Can I help? No. <laughs> What it, I can't tell what she's trying to do. Oh, she's getting the bottom buckles. It's her car seat. Yeah, buckle. The bottom ones are the hardest, man. 
You want me to help, Rose? No. Thank you. No, thank you. What do you want me to do? Worry about yourself. Worry about yourself. He's working at it. Working at it. You try! Worry about yourself. Don't try! I can't really hear what she's saying. What did she say? You drive. You worry about yourself. Worry about yourself. You drive. <laughs> That's oh, funny. Sorry. Yeah. So it's a it's a really an example of what you're what you're talking yeah. about. And that girl's just so. I mean, most of our kids aren't going to be that strong and just say that for themselves. Like, no, I'm going to spend 20 minutes buckling this buckle that you could do in 20 seconds. And yep. And you worry about yourself. You do your thing. And yeah, maybe yeah. you can't drive until she's done and whatever. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, think, yeah. I think one of the big challenges I'm going to have with parenting is, is pretty early on with Tyler, my first nephew. Um, so there were several years, but he'll be my main example because as much as I love and spend time with my other nieces and nephews, um, there was a stretch there of like four or five years where he was the only one for me. And that's where I was kind of like learning so much about, about being with kids. And, you know, sometimes when I would watch him, I would have a chore to do or have something to do. And, and it was very frustrating, you know, getting him to go to the mall with me, getting him to like do, do this shit. It was so frustrating. And uh, so pretty, pretty early on, I just said to myself, like, from now on, every moment I'm with him, that's my priority. That's my job. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm there with Tyler first and foremost to have time with him. And if I need to, I'm not going to even be with him if I need, if I really need to do something for work or if I really need to do something, I'm going to tell Angie or my sister, you know, yeah, you know, today's not the best day. But then when I'm with him, no matter what I've got, I can still do it. And I still went to concerts with him. I still went to chores with him. I still did all kinds of things. But I had to say in my head, Tyler's first. And if that means if that means we miss this concert, then we miss the concert. If that means I can't get my laundry, then I can't get my laundry. And that's going to be a an awakening when I have a child, like you just said, like 14 hours a day, like seven days a week. And I'm still really, if I do, I mean, I keep hoping. I still don't know how my custody thing is going to work out. But yeah. Um, I still also, though, I'm in an amazingly privileged situation where I kind of think I can still do that with everything in my life. I think I don't, I run a multi-million dollar organization, but I, that's my intention with my child. And that was it when, when Bonnie and I were going to be parenting together, that was my intention with her too. Is just like, once we have this kid, it's going to be a microcosm, uh, the opposite of microcosm, a macrocosm or something of what I did with Tyler. Mm. Um, if I can still make my job work, great. I'm going to still have my job because that's an important part of my self-expression and what I want to contribute to the world. If I can still make music, great, all of that. But I'm going to have this come first. Uh, and I'm lucky that like financially and stuff like that, I can, I can do that. There's really nothing in my life that, that needs for any reason to come before my parenting. But it's still going to be an awakening because it's going to be a major gear shift for me. Yeah. I, 
Yeah, I and I, I really appreciate you for saying that, that you, I mean, I get the sense that you enjoy that, having that kind of time where you don't really have any other demands. You can do something if you need to, but that you're really focused on the kid. And that seems like something you like to do, right? Like yeah, once I got in that mind frame, I, I liked right. it a lot. Yeah, the expectations are everything. Yeah, um, yeah and I, I guess... I, I'm kind of terrible at that, to be yeah. honest. I So Magda Gerber calls it wants nothing time, mm-hmm. where, you know, wants something time is like, okay, I'm changing your diaper or I'm brushing your teeth or we're eating or like we're doing something that has a like a purpose to it. Mm-hmm. And then wants nothing time is just... I'm simply here present with you mm-hmm. and whatever you your agenda is. I have no agenda, mm-hmm. right? So I think, yeah, that that is for me, the number one hardest thing about parenting is that, you know, my agenda and my daughter's agenda are so often so very different. Yeah. So, so, so very different. I mean, as an adult, my main agenda in life is to like, avoid hassles Uh (laughs) and to be that you know i mean literally i wish i could say something different but (laughs) and maybe that's just me talking as a parent you know Mm -hmm. because i don't think it's my purpose in life to avoid hassles Mm -hmm. but kids purpose is to explore and with and take apart everything that they find Mm -hmm. right and to push every boundary (laughs) and to test every limit and to figure stuff out and like Mm -hmm. explore right that's their job and i think it's a beautiful thing and it's really hard to live with (laughs) for me (laughs) you know yeah like, did all of these dishes need to get clean dishes, need to get taken out of the dishwasher and put on the floor? Like, did that have to happen? Or did like all this laundry that just got clean and folded need to be like thrown all over or made a fort out of or whatever, right? right. Like it's super charming and lovely to a certain point. And then eventually I'm like, ah! Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, and I think, I think it's unnatural, the situation that I'm in, especially with the pandemic. I think it's really unnatural for one adult and one child to spend long, long, long hours with each Mm -hmm. other. You know, I think adults are designed to be with other adults and children Mm -hmm. are designed to play with other children. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, I consider it my job to set up an environment where Elsie Jane has kids to play with. I feel a little guilty saying this, but like, I'm not all that interested in playing with her. Yeah. And I, I see, I see this different of being really different between moms and dads. Often Mm -hmm. it can be like a gender thing. I don't know why, but dads seem a lot more into actually playing with their kids Mm -hmm. than moms. Mm. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, but, but, but I hear what you're saying that you're not into it and, and appreciate you saying that. And yet, of course it doesn't. With her. I like talking with her, you know, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do the, like, you know, 
I'm going to throw you up in the air for 15 minutes and uh-huh. let you, you know, like slide off the whatever or something like go for it, do uh-huh. it, do it all you want on your own. I'm probably not going to be like a full participant for more yeah. than five minutes or something, you know? Yeah. I'm sighing now just thinking about how I I had always hoped to have multiple kids and to have my kids around my nieces and nephews a lot and uh, and feel like it's, it's going to be a struggle to accept what reality is it, as it might be different from from how I wanted it to be. Yeah. What it what is going what is your situation now? What's going on with your well, I don't know if that's good to get into in the middle of the podcast, uh, but it might be. Um, I mean, it's it's unclear. Uh, our child Arlo is living with Bonnie in South Carolina. We're going to do a mediation sometime soon that is supposed to tackle, um, you know, visitation and child support and custody issues. And I don't think we're going to have any any um, challenges with visitation and child support, but I think we're going to have a lot of challenges around custody. I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a dad who has to fly 2000 miles and spend two hours a day with, with, with my child. I want to live with my child. And if I can only do that six months out of the year or three months out of the year or whatever, then that's how often I will, I will do it. But uh, and I'm building this house right now and building a child, a, a room for Arlo in the home and um, wanting to create that space, you know, for him where he can, he can safely play and explore. Um, and yeah, I'm not totally certain how that'll play out and when, when and if I'll get to be with him here in, in my home with, with this these grandparents of his and these cousins of his. Yeah. But I imagine within the next few months, I'll have a better idea, but it's going to require a court case because yeah, Bonnie, I don't think wants me to have any custody. Hmm. Yeah. Ouch. Well, good luck to you. And I, I hope that you get, a large lot of custody. Yeah, thank you. Me too. Um, so shifting gears back into back into any of these topics. I mean, one thing, so maybe we're, I don't know if this will go in the podcast or not, but um, when you talk about Angela Lansbury or whoever you just, you just mentioned another author, but didn't really talk about what it was. It's, um, it's Janet Lansbury. Yeah. Did I not say that? You said Angela Lansbury. <laughs> yeah, Janet Lansbury. I actually think Janet Lansbury is her niece or something. Oh, really? Yeah. But her I mean, work is based on Magda Gerber. Oh, Magda Gerber. Yeah. That's the other one you mentioned. Uh, I, I want us to put in links to like any books we reference or any authors that we reference in the in the podcast. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to get and I'll the... tell you my other two favorites lately. Okay. Who are those? Um, the one I, okay, so one of my all-time favorites is... It's a classic, how to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk. And it's really hands-on. It's like, it, it's, it's, I love the philosophy, right? Like, mm-hmm. I love the philosophy. That doesn't like, re- reading Alfie Cohn doesn't really help me when I'm like in the grocery store and my kid has just put the 20th thing in her mouth, you know, in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. But like, 
how to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk. It just feels very real. It feels very hands-on. It's like tools that I can actually use and practice. And it's based that those authors are um, two women, Elaine Maslich and Adele Faber, who have written like they've written lots of other books too. But their work, their mentor was Haim Gano, and I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's H I H A I M G I N O T T. And I, I'm just starting to like get into his books, but I haven't read that much. Cool. And then my newest favorite that I haven't finished yet is called um, Easy to Love, Difficult to Discipline, which is a title I would have never um, like gravitated towards, but someone else recommended it to me and I love it. It might be my favorite that I've ever, of course, every new book that I read is my favorite. Mm-hmm. But right now it's my favorite. And it it's very, again, it's, it's practical tools that I can actually use and practice every day when mm-hmm. I get into like tricky situations. And she talks about discipline, not in terms of like punishments and rewards, but in terms of, um, teaching mm-hmm. you know dis- discipline and as in disciple mm-hmm. as in like how can i offer something to my child rather than punish them how can i um teach them or just provide an environment in which they're gonna learn something or get something out of it yeah that's yeah. great well let's maybe talk about that one in the next podcast okay uh, and i'd like to read it before we talk about it ideally um, I think it gets into like one of the main issues. I don't know if you ended up reading that essay that I shared with you that I was working on, but one of the main um, disciplines or practices that I want to practice with, with my child is, um, is just considering uh, other people's feelings and, and impact on other people in a way that isn't discipline. You know, so like so often parents only bring that up in the context of a make wrong or a punishment is like, how do you think Johnny feels now or whatever? And I want to like guilt trip thing. Yeah. I want to play that game just constantly for no reason. Just like, how do you think this fish in the book we're reading feels? How do you think, uh, you know, this kid that just walked past us feels, I just want the consideration of others and the, and like, again, like Star Trek, like, like, um, Deanna Troy or whatever, like building those skills, building that muscle to yeah. be an exercise that we are practicing, uh, like learning colors or letters or whatever. And like you said, there's a time that's too early to do that. And there's a way to do that that's forced and, and a way to do that that's natural. But that's a skill set and a tool that I want my child to have. And I feel like once they have that or as they're building that, there's so much there's not that much more that they need. You know, that's the guidance of, of making the right decisions in the world becomes so much easier when you're practice at considering other people's feelings. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did. I do remember reading that essay. I think it's been a while. Yeah. I think you might've shared that with me after we met in Greece in mm. that long ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just reading radical parenting and it just, kind of broken up with a woman who I thought I was going to have yeah. kids with. Yeah, I remember that. Well, cool. Yeah, so, so 
Uh, about the empathy thing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I, yeah, I have lots of thoughts about that. I, for one thing, I think providing empathy to our kids is a huge way that they learn, right? Like often we're asking kids to provide empathy for somebody else, but we mm-hmm. don't often provide empathy to them. Mm-hmm. So like recognizing our kids, like, oh, I like, I see your eyebrows going like this. Are you mad? Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, I see, you know, I, I can see you're really upset, you know, are you, are you, are you frustrated? Are you whatever? So that they are getting, getting that from the other end. Right. And then Mm -hmm. I think that they naturally model that, Mm -hmm. you know, because they are going to, they are going to notice every last thing about someone's facial expression, body language. They're so freaking perceptive. I don't think they can process it all like the way we do, but I think they are hyper attuned to that stuff mm-hmm. and that we can help them sort of wrap words around it and kind mm-hmm. of make it help it make all make sense, you know. And so much of that I think is a radical honesty thing of like, you know, if somebody looks and sounds mad it often isn't it's not often spoken of Mm. it's people are like immediately trying to like make it go away or make it Mm -hmm. better or fix it somehow Mm. rather than just stating you know like you know i think that i think that person is mad right Mm now Cool. Well, we'll wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining me, and uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll we'll do it again in a couple of weeks. And then I also think we can think about people that you would want to have on that we could interview together. We could do Brad again since that was a little chaotic the first time I did him. Um, I've got a whole list of of people, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, depending on how much time and energy you have for this, if we do it every other week, we could we could interview other people. Or anytime when you feel like taking a break, I could just interview other people. Okay. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for inviting me.